so knowledge here understands wisdom applies this as we look at David's life, not to mention elsewhere in scripture. Success, love and listen, this is huge. Success, even in the Lord, will always come with a cost. Success, even as you are filled with God and bearing fruit for his glory, even that, especially that, will come at a price. Hi, friends, and welcome back to Live in the Light. We're thankful that you've joined us here today. And if you've been tracking with us, we've been walking through some powerful stories in God's Word as we've been looking at the life of David. And hey, as you've been looking at David's life with us, maybe you've been looking at your own life and maybe feeling challenged in certain ways and and maybe even needing to be encouraged or wanting to reach out to us and let us know what God has been doing in your life. We would flat out love to hear from you. You can reach out to us through our website at liveinthelight.ca or phone us up at 1-844-22-LIGHT. That's 1-844-22-L-I-G-H-T. Hey, Robbie, as we said, in the life of David, continuing on, what's the story for today? Yeah, this is probably a text that, like, if our last message was David and Goliath, everyone knows this might be a part of David's life that we're not so familiar with, but it's such a good passage. It's talking about when David, in the will of God, he had this amazing triumph in the defeat of Goliath, but it's not long before David is in subject, with no fault of his own, he's subject now to the humiliation and the testing of the Lord so that God can still have David's heart in the midst of all his success. So our sermon title today is The Price of Success. Hey, listeners, I ask you a question today. Have you had to learn the price of success? And what we mean by that, if you're going to be greatly used, if I'm going to be used of the Lord, we must understand what it means to get low. We must understand it's not about us. And David had to go through these lessons today. It's something our flesh doesn't want, but the Spirit of God within us says, yes, it's right. Jesus Christ, you increase so that I decrease. That's the heart of today. Again, David learns the price of success. It's a brutal time for him, but God would use it to multiply incredible fruit in the years to come in David's life. And Craig, you and I, we're no different. Our listeners are also noted. We must learn the same lessons. All right. May the Lord do this. And let's go right away into God's word. We're in 1 Samuel chapters 18 and 19 today. And let's go to Pastor Robbie with today's message, the price of success. All right, 1 Samuel 18, Bible's open. Here we go. God's Word in front of us. Excited to learn together. Uh, I'm going to start today's message by reading a few verses from chapter 18. As I read these verses, look with me and see if you can discern a theme of chapter 18, okay? It's another way to do an introduction right now. Let's look at these verses together and let's see if we can see the theme that is apparent and abundant in chapter 18, okay? So David killed Goliath. He's returning now. He's with Saul. Watch what happens. Uh, 18 verse 5. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all, and the people also in the sight of Saul's servants. Looking now at 18 uh, verse 14 and 15. And David had, verse 14, David had success in all his undertakings, 
uh, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Look now finally at verse 30. Uh, beginning, middle, and end. Verse 30. Love to hear the pages turning. Can't hear that so much with the knee Bible, can you? That's okay, though. That's okay. That's okay. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, okay. Still means you're doing it. Verse 30. Then the princes of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Now, what this is really describing here, and I wonder if you can see the theme already, this is describing the rocket launch of David's nationwide fame and success. So just imagine what must have transpired immediately following the defeat of Goliath and the triumph of the Israelites. So if you're David, like one, like one day you are nobody in the shepherd's field. No one knows who you are. You're in, your own family doesn't care about you. You're in, a, in the shepherd's field, you're a nobody. And literally the next day, you're a national hero. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Now we read in these verses four times the word success is used. Four times the word success is used in the verses we read. Without a doubt, then that's the theme of the chapter. Without a doubt, that is what the Holy Spirit wants to communicate as to what's going on uh, predominantly within this chapter. So the Lord was with David. God's favor was upon David. God was granting success to David. Now, here's what we see though, as we see God working within David. Here's what knowledge understands and wisdom applies. Do you know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is the information for a situation. Wisdom applies correctly that knowledge. So it's not just that we have knowledge. Wisdom correctly applies the knowledge we have so that it results in God's glory. So knowledge here understands wisdom applies this as we look at David's life, not to mention elsewhere in scripture. Success, love and listen, this is huge. Success even in the Lord, will always come with a cost. Success, even as you are filled with God and bearing fruit for his glory, even that, especially that, will come at a price. And this is the truth we investigate today. The success of David in the Lord would cost him. Ready? The success of us in the Lord will cost us as well. This is why the sermon title then is The Price of Success, even, especially in the Lord. So let's find out why then. We're gonna jump right now to point number one as we unpack this theme, the price of success. Number one is this, success will be my greatest test. Success will be in life my greatest test. Again, look at verse five. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Verse 14. And David had success in all his undertakings. Why? For the Lord was with him. So isn't it so interesting? Failure in our lives is certainly a great test. When we fail, we are tested in our motivations. We are tested how we respond. We are tested. Will we be discouraged? Will we give up? And yet, I suggest to you today from God's word, the far greater test in our lives will actually be when we succeed. Proverbs 27 verse 21 says this. Listen, listen, listen. The crucible is for silver. The furnace is for gold. And a man is tested by his praise. 
The crucible is for silver. The furnace is for gold. And the metaphor the Bible uses for that to translate the application is, and a man is tested by his praise. So in this sense, our success even in the Lord is a tremendous form of temptation and a tremendous form of testing. It's a furnace of refining to find out what we're really made of. So I can only imagine the thoughts and the confusion in David's mind as he is catapulted, he is launched like a rocket into the spotlight from one day to the next. Remember, his whole life he's overlooked. His whole life he's been forgotten again by his own family. His whole life he's been scorned. And then in one day, he is celebrated by an entire nation. Question, question. What kind of character do you need to withstand such launching into celebrity and fame and the praise of men? What kind of character do you need to not succumb to the temptation to make it about yourself? The only way David withstands this onslaught of praise and this onslaught of fame is that he was a man after the heart of God. As long as his eyes stayed on the Lord, he was safe. When they come off the Lord onto self or onto the praise of man, he is done. This is the situation that David found himself in. And I want you to know and understand this. This is why so many men and women crumble under the pressure of success because they simply don't have the character to withstand the temptation of making it about themselves. It's so subtle, isn't it? It comes in just slow little waves and little thought patterns that slowly and subtly get off of the Lord. You're still saying the right things. You got your Christianese going on and you're not dumb enough to say things in public that would, would reveal your heart, but slowly you're turning towards the emphasis on self and gain and worldliness and, and, and materialism and pride. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves completely off the worship of God and we will be on the worship of self. And of course, this does not only apply to the national celebrity. This applies to the small group leader with unusual influence of the people around them. This applies to the up-and-coming staff member of a church who's getting unusual attention. This applies to the elder with great biblical knowledge and unusual sense of authority. This applies to the business person who has seen profits soar and success all around them with the temptation, how they're going to use that. This applies to the worship leader who is lauded with praise. This applies to the mega church pastor and all that comes with that. This applies to the mother to the mother who has seen success in her children walking with the Lord and seeming that she has done all these things so well. This applies to the young person who's the top of their class, the best of their job, or beautiful in appearance. All these situations and thousands more will be true and massive tests of the heart. What I want you to see here, one of the lessons we just pause right now and to understand and to notice within God's word right here. Remember, David was in the shepherd's field. Now he's in the palace. You have to think some part of David, as this scene unfolds, some part of David is saying, man, the shepherd's field was a lot simpler. The shepherd's field was a lot purer in a lot of ways. 
The shepherd's field, man, it just wasn't nearly as busy and chaotic and confusing. The shepherd's field, man, that was a time where I was there in my lowly position, but so close to the Lord and just could see life. And what, loved ones, here's the lesson. Don't ever despise the lowly position. We're so often like, I want to be more. I want to be more. I want to go farther. I want to be known. I want to have the opportunities. I want to, we don't know what we're asking for half the time. And our desire to be exalted to all these possessions at work, our church, whatever it might be, we don't really know what we're asking for. Could it be how often we get what we want to our own destruction? Don't despise the lowly position because so often the purity of our lives is most seen in those places. So often our communion with the Lord because life is simpler and the fruit is abundant and the fellowship with God is so real. Don't despise that. Don't think, I just need to get there. I just need to be him. I just, I just need to be to a higher level. I got to climb the, do you, do you? We don't know what we want, but God does. And here's a lesson right here, man. The Lord works, the Lord works in the lowly. What are we learning here as well? We've said this before. It's such a great principle, such a great question. This then is God's great paradox. What is? God's great paradox is how does he bless a man without ruining him? How does he bless a woman without ruining her? So true, so true. And here's this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones on this topic too. It's this, the worst thing that can happen to a man is for him to succeed before he is ready. The worst thing that can happen to a person is for them to achieve success before they are ready because if they do not have the character to withstand the success, it will destroy them. Just think about that. Take a moment to apply it to your life. I think of how many biblical examples that are presented to us of, of men and women who start off desperate for the Lord in weakness and humiliation and they're so in need of God, but then success is found and slowly over time their heart turns, it hardens and slowly over time their dependence is lessened and then it's not long before their pride overtakes them and the Lord can no longer use them. Look at this on the screen here too. This is, is kind of like a, a counseling process that we have to think through. So as comes my praise, as comes success, as success comes in my life, even and especially in the Lord, what do I do with that? Do I take the success and praise and does it deflect off me and go to God's glory? Or, again, we can say this, we say the right, or though, and really is it, is it coming and is it soaking into my own heart and soul? Or I'm actually, yeah, yeah, I deserve this. Um, this, is, this is entitled to me. So as comes my praise, will it come with my pride? So here's the turning point of so many people's lives. Now, this isn't just like pastor and ministry, okay? This is like anywhere in your life, man. This is you and your workplace, you and your home. This is you and your kids. This is you and your friends. This could be the small, this could be a hobby you're really good at, okay? I mean, it's just the state of the heart. It's where your heart's at. So it applies to, Will it come with pride? Because when it comes with pride, this is, do I go backwards or do I go forwards? If it comes with pride, I forgo promotion. God doesn't exalt those who are stealing his glory. He doesn't share his glory with other people. When my praise comes, will it be met with pride? And then will I forgo my promotion? When I deflect it back to the glory of God, I have told and showed the Lord, I am ready now to continue to be used. And this is what we see with David. We it's remarkable we see within him and in this, this onslaught. We're going to see why, though, he was able to kind of withstand the success because God would throw some trials upon his life. But love when success will surely be our, our greatest test. You know, that's why I, I say often that I'm most uncomfortable when I find myself too comfortable. 
you know what I mean? When life starts going like pretty good and you're kind of, you know, on your spiritual couch, so to speak, and you're kind of relaxing, and, oh man, things are going well, I just feel really good. And then all of a sudden, when you start feeling really comfortable, then your need for God kind of decreases. And then in your comfort, your self-reliance increases. And as self-reliance increases, and I don't need God so much anymore. My prayers aren't filled with the same kind of anguish as they were before. My intensity in searching God isn't the same as what it used to be. And if you're not relying on God, you're relying on self, someone else. And that's why in my life, man, just, as much as I don't like the trials, really, because it hurts so much, I've learned to say, man, there's some beauty in those things. We'll see that as this message goes on too. But I'm most uncomfortable in my life when things are most comfortable. Keep your heart with all vigilance, loved ones. Watch your heart, how quickly the heart turns to evil and pride. Let me ask you this question. Are you being ruined by success even now? Take a look at your heart and has your heart wandered? Has your heart grown cold? Is your true ambition self, not Christ? I mean, just right now, think. Ask yourself these honest questions. Has your heart wandered from the Lord? You know. Are you more focused on money right now than you are on Jesus Christ? Are you more focused on your career than you are Jesus Christ? Are you more focused on how people think of you than you are Jesus Christ? Are you more focused on getting yourself out? I mean, just, just, just take a look and you probably know right now. You probably know right now what the answer is. Could it be that you're slowly, we're slowly being ruined by our own success? Has our purity and devotion to the Lord been polluted by the world? I mean, this is how our world's set up, man. It feeds into self and flesh. So if we're not guarding our hearts on a daily basis, we're done. Success becomes our greatest test. It's amazing to me, again, how many people have gotten what they wanted, again, to their own destruction. I remember many years ago, I sat beside a very prominent pastor. I mean, he was like admired. He had massive speaking platforms. He was nationally known. I mean, big, big, big deal. I had the chance to sleep beside him. He leaned over to me and he said, Robbie, you do not want my life. And I'm just like, man, as a young man, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like everything that, you know, pastors, this is, you're doing it. And I, you don't want my life. It's not always what it's cracked up to be. So remarkably in our text here, David, he seems to handle the success in a way that's, I mean, there's no indication that his heart is being turned. We're going to see, though, immediately God will protect his heart. But David, despite people around him were not being helpful, I just, I want to, I want to point this out to you. This was, I've never seen this before. Look at uh, chapter 18, verse 6, okay? Uh, verse 6. So David defeats Goliath as they were coming home and David returned from striking down the Philistine. Notice this. The women came out of all the cities of Israel, okay? That, that's a lot of women, okay? And uh, they were singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. Okay, this is a, a real party, a real celebration. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, this would be the beginning of Saul's decline into being ruined over jealousy, okay? But notice what's happening here as the women come out singing, dancing, playing music, and what they're saying. Who is the focus on from the women? Who are they praising? They're praising men. They're praising Saul and they're praising David. Saul thousands, David ten thousands. Isn't it interesting? When the Red Sea was parted and the Egyptians were defeated, Miriam, Moses' sister, the first thing she does is build a psalm and a song of praise to God. God is amazing. Our God is awesome. God is the one who delivered us from the Egyptians. She's not praising Moses. Maybe because she was his sister and she knew surely it couldn't be Moses, all right? But there's no way she's praising him, all right? Praising him. But in this situation, the women come out and they're like, David, 
David and Saul, Saul. And is, that, is that helpful for David? Is that helpful? No, because David knows it's not him, man. It, but this shows us the spiritual decline of Israel. They were in such a shallow state spiritually that when they see the victory, their first response is, man, God, God. Hey, loved ones, here's our lesson. Do not praise man. Do not come up to people that you think are great in the Lord and start puffing them up with, wow, you're amazing. Wow, you're this, wow, you're that. Listen, we plant in water, only God gives the growth, okay? Only God can change the heart, okay? Yes, I'm not against encouragement. We're, we're taught biblically, encourage one another as in the Lord. Awesome, love each other, build each other up. I'm all for that. It's a spiritual gift, love it, okay? But there's a difference between encouraging someone and flattering someone by elevating them than making them think and tempting them to actually believe that they are the cat's meow within this church or wherever else. I love what Paul Tripp said to me. He said to me, he says in his book, actually, too, he says, when people come up to him, like, wow, you're the greatest, you're the best, you do this, you do that. And he's like, if they really knew me, they wouldn't say that. If they really knew my heart, they wouldn't say that. Why? Because we're all sinners in need of a savior. We're all men and women with feet of clay. There's, yeah, God uses people. Praise the Lord for that. He does. And some seemingly more than others, but at the end of the day, man, it is not helpful for the women to come out singing, dancing, and playing music and saying, David, 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 David. Let's not do that here either. God is the hero. God is the hero. And what we're going to find out here is, here's one of God's movements in the ways that we would never think, but God begins to protect David by raising people up to oppose David. Point number two, uh, success could provoke my greatest opposition. Success in the Lord could provoke my greatest opposition. There are really three main characters in chapter 18. David, Saul, Jonathan. There's others, but these are the three main characters. Each have a lot to teach us. We have seen David as God-given success, but now the question is, how will other people respond to the success of David? Hearts are so revealed as certain people are elevated by God, and then how people respond around them says so much about where our hearts are at. We're gonna see two vastly different reactions from two vastly different hearts. Here's the first heart. It's the heart of Jonathan, which has blessed me so much this week. Look at 18 verse one. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Like, notice how instantaneously this happened, okay? And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, gave it to David and his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his belt, okay? Now, do you realize why the actions of Jonathan here are so massive? Jonathan was the crown prince. Jonathan was the heir to the throne. Jonathan was Saul's eldest son. Jonathan and every single person's eyes in Israel was next in line to be king. So think about it, think about it. If anyone had reason and motivation to be threatened and jealous of David, even more than Saul, I believe, it's Jonathan. And yet the heart of Jonathan here is revealed in this text. It is amazing. I mean, from the moment, the text says, from the moment Jonathan heard David's voice, 
He loved him as his own soul. That's incredible. You know, many consider Jonathan and David to be two teenagers running around giving each other high fives all the time. Listen, you had to be at least 20 years old to be a commander in the Israelite army. That was Jonathan. And he'd already won two battles in previous chapters in 1 Samuel. So all the scholars estimate at least five-year gap between them, probably more, maybe 10 years, maybe more than that even. They're not two 70-year-olds hanging out and saying, hey man, these, Jonathan was significantly older than David. He was the one who was lined up to be the next king. He was the one who had every right to be so jealous of the situation that he was in. But if you look at verses three and four, you see Jonathan's humility, his friendship, and his love was so powerful to the point. He makes a covenant with David. Then notice, he takes off his armor and gives it to David, all of it. Why is that so significant? For Jonathan to do this, when he takes off his armor and gives it to David, he is signifying to David right there, you are to be the next king. And anyone who saw this happening would know exactly what was being said. This is incredible character and humility that Jonathan is showing. Obviously, Jonathan too had such a vision of the Lord because this is the only way he could really do this, you know? You know, you, you think about us in our lives and here's where it gets really, well, depressing in some ways, but we get jealous and envious over someone taking our parking spot, let alone giving up our kingdom, Right? We get, we're standing in a conversation with three or four friends and one other person is getting encouragement and praise. And in our minds, we're like, how come I'm not getting praise? Why are you talking about, how come I want, I want to be the one to get the encouragement. How come you get the encouragement? Let alone giving up our line to the throne. Some of us even walked in here today and we were angry in our hearts for someone else had the nerve to take the seat that we usually sit in. What does this reveal? What does this reveal? It reveals the wickedness of our hearts. I mean, you can, we can go on and on and on about this and just the level of jealousy and envy that we have in so many hundreds of dis- different situations throughout our lives. Loved ones, it's showing us, man, our hearts are wicked. We need Jesus. We need the cleansing forgiveness of our Savior. But listen, like this, more astounding is Jonathan, the character, the love, the friendship. I mean, you look at Jonathan, Lord, can I be like that? God, can you make me like Jonathan? Can I have friends like that? Oh my goodness. Can I have friends that would act towards me the way Jonathan is acting towards David? The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, Romans 12. But our hearts are so wicked, we often weep as others rejoice and we rejoice when people weep. And we would never say that out loud. We would never show that. We do the right thing. We look, oh, it's up inside. We can have this wicked thoughts of gladness when certain people are seeing hard times and experience difficulty. That is so wicked. That is the depravity of our hearts that goes on way too often. If you're convicted right now, repent. Repent, run to the Lord. Beg him to forgive your heart and make it from black to be pure and white as snow. That's why Christ died. Do you secretly delight when bad things happen to certain people? The Lord sees it all. He sees every thought of our heart and mind. He knows everything. God help us. Jonathan was so in line with God's heart that he believed whatever happened, God's way is best. See, Jonathan, without hesitation, this is what's happening, Jonathan. He's like, okay, so God's clearly working in David. If God's plan is David is to be king and not me, I'm in. 
That, that is love. That is, that is so humble. If God's plan doesn't include me in the way I thought it did, but now it's David, it's God's plan. That's all I need to know. I'm in. I support it all. Incredible. And of course, his own father would be the exact opposite. Oh, to be a friend like Jonathan, so beautiful, so rare. Oh, to have friends like Jonathan, so beautiful and so rare. Heart number one is Jonathan. Heart number two now is Saul. So one heart handles David's success wonderfully. The other heart now handles it disastrously. Look at verses eight and nine. So the women say their, their sentence there. And Saul now, verse eight, was very angry and the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David 10,000s and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can we have but the kingdom? What more can he have but the kingdom? And look at verse nine. And Saul eyed David from that day on. Now, I want you, and we'll get to this in a second, but I want you to notice here, David was successful in the Lord. And because of his success, this brought one of his greatest trials he would ever face. Have you been challenged or encouraged recently by something that you've heard on this program? This is your opportunity to step forward and give so someone else can be encouraged like you have been. You can give to Live in the Light online at liveinthelight.ca or by calling us at 844-225-4448. We can't wait to hear from you. Thanks for listening to us today. Join us again next time on Live in the Light.